0: This is is James M. Ward here, and D&D experts like myself love listening to the Save or Die podcast because I learn something new every time I tune in.
1: See Welcome
0: to the Save or Die Podcast, a podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons.
2: Hello, you cool cats. Welcome to the Save or Die podcast. As usual, I'm Blind Lemon Monroe, also known as DM Mike. And with me is Fat Apple Washington, yeah, known as DM Liz. And Squinty Banana Carter, <laughs> known as DM Jim. And since we're talking about the blues and no one gets out of here without singing the blues... We're talking about Blue Holm. Apparently, I, I think uh, the only—well, now, Mazes and Perils is still out. A retro clone of the Holmes D&D Basic Set. But first, what did we
0: do again this week? Who cares?
2: What have we been doing this week, or at least since the last recording? And we'll start with Jim because his is more interesting. Oh, God. How much time have you got? <laughs> <laughs> I slept all weekend. Um, I just
1: got back from uh, Game Con in Madison, Wisconsin last week. Uh, it was the third Game Con, but my very first. And it's the single plushest con I've ever been to in my life. It ran. Plushest? Like... Plush, yes. I mean,
2: okay, it was I'm... stuffed and soft to cuddle with. Uh. <laughs> well, well, two things. Uh,
1: part of the swag you got was a plushy owlbear. so literally yeah, I
0: saw pictures of that. Yeah,
1: that's a, that's hard to beat. Yeah. And I just got to say, Alex uh, knows how to treat his special guest. He apparently owns also owns a uh, like college restaurant bar and took us all out. It was like all you could eat and all you could drink one night, and then we got to go upstairs to the literal game hole, which is. Like a secret yeah, I was
2: gonna ask if that was the bar restaurant that the game hole was under or over yeah yeah
1: we all got to go up there to see where he and his crew game and I mean it was just the most ridiculous display you ever saw he had a display case with a wood grain o d and d set three pristine copies of Dragon magazine number one, which is two more than any human should have <laughs> <laughs> And, uh they they just for those guys they made like a plushie ours were like a regular size they made a giant one that's like the size of a whole person like fat albert big
0: and, oh my gosh yeah,
1: it's it's now resting in the rafters of that game hole room <laughs> huh. ready to poop on people <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but' worse uh, than owlbear poop
1: uh Tim cask and I uh you know jumped in a car and did a road trip it was about about eight hours and it was fantastic fun got to uh, I, you know how, like, when you run con games, there's always that guy that you have to mm-hmm. kind of sit on to keep him from wrecking the game for everybody else. I had four games and uh, a DCC tournament included, and had nothing but all great players.
2: Well, cool. And I, I didn't ever have that guy in our con too, but I'll we'll get to that later. And I just get to rest up for a week, and
1: then uh, next Thursday I'm headed up to Yukon and Ypsilanti, where. Uh, I'll be running both Mutant Crawl Classics and a Dungeon Crawl Classics adventure called Synthetic Swordsman of the Purple Planet, which I both wrote and will be released at the
2: con for sale. How Burrosian <laughs> Oh,
1: I Edgar Rice Burroughs the Purple Planet all up.
2: Sweet. How far is that con from you?
1: Uh, Hard drive, I mean. I went last year. Ipsilanti, I think it's like
2: four or five hours. Okay. So certainly closer than the whole... So, yeah. It's a
0: lot more fun to say Ypsilanti
2: (laughs) than Madison, Wisconsin.
1: Ypsilanti,
0: Ypsilanti, Ypsilanti.
1: Well, this year at least I know how to say it right. Ypsilanti.
2: (laughs) Not Ypsilanti. (laughs) Jakeways. Yeah. (laughs) Must remember Jakeways. Anyway, well, that's cool. And then, so I guess it just means us. Um, I'll let Liz talk about Rose City Comic Con, but before we do, I'm just going to jump in that I am running a, as some listeners may know, our D, our second edition ad and DM has burned out, which after five years, I think is pretty good, actually.
0: He lasted a lot longer than I would have thought.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I've reluctantly agreed to take over the DMing, and... I, by popular request, I wanted to do Holmes basic, but they made me do castles and crusades. So I'm just slipping in some Holmes rules every now and then when they're not looking. But um, <laughs> What do you at- mean my bastard sword only does 1d6 damage? <laughs> <laughs> and you go last. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I had them uh, to celebrate Halloween. They were randomly teleported by a failed monster summoning spell into Tejal Manor yes I know first adi- first level characters in Tejil Manor but I figured it was alright because their goal wasn't to clean out the place the goal was to get out and they did and I only killed two of the six uh, characters <laughs> including
0: <Mine>! Lizzie
2: <laughs> she was killed by a, by a, a ghostly uh, bowling ball
0: was pretty solid for something ghostly (laughs) i just gotta say well yeah
2: you guys are my
1: heroes because i've never
0: wonder too it's like i got i got once so yeah (laughs) bam
1: i've never dated lived with or been married to anyone that i could get away with that
0: so
2: (laughs) killing the characters
1: yeah yeah so you guys are my heroes
0: mike's Mike's killed my characters tons of times (laughs) this is nothing new (laughs)
2: I, I hey I was rolling out in front for that game. I I so half in fact Liz time, was rolling the dice for I was me. you say
0: half the time he had me rolling for him at Ooh. the table. So <laughs> and, nobody can
2: claim that I was
0: <laughs> And I will say I used the same d20 for my rolls and for the monster rolls for Mike. All the monster rolls 17s, 18s, All of my rolls, three, five.
2: (laughs) Welcome to my world, Liz. (laughs) Anyway, so that's going on. Mead joined once. Then she got a job and can't come back. And so a Sturge attacked her halfling in the middle of the night. I rolled a nat 20 and it basically drained her and killed her. So when everybody woke up, she was dead. Yeah, Yeah. You sound there real... was a really <laughs> fat Sturge flopping around in the woods if they had went looking for it because it couldn't get airborne. But, you know.
1: You really sound all broken up about
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> well, since she had dropped out of the game, I had intended on getting rid of her somehow. But I didn't expect it to be that quick.
0: It was like the first it, encounter, too. Yeah.
2: It's like, okay, she's on, she's on watch by herself. Does she see the Sturge? No. Okay, the Sturge attacks her. Nat 20, max damage, six hit points. She has six hit points. Okay, well, she's a death store, but it doesn't matter because nobody's awake to save her.
0: Well, so, he even gave her a, a chance. Saving
2: throw. Con uh, saving throw.
0: To see if she could at least cry out before being, you know, rendered unconscious and dead. But she failed it and didn't get to. Alert anyone
2: although it was worth it because Chase's barbarian took her leather armor <laughs> and went into a store uh, into the next town, trying to sell the armor, said, "Here, little girl armor, and tosses it on the bar. There's blood stains down the back, and the And the owner of the armor shops going, "What, what happened? Oh, don't worry, I bury her in woods. <laughs>
1: So what you're saying is, as a DM, you've got an airtight alibi with the husband as a witness. Yes. <laughs> when Mead
2: comes back. Not yeah. that Mead generally needs a, a reason, but yeah, basically. So, now Rose City Comic Con, Liz.
0: Hey! Well, um, we left early, which was a good thing. That was the weekend that Hurricane Patricia hit the coast of Mexico, and by the time Friday came along... Tyler and most of North Texas was just being drenched in torrential rainfalls. Um, So, we had actually driven up, um, I think it was Wednesday night, and we were there Thursday, and then Friday was when the really bad weather started. Um, We drove out in the rain to the fairgrounds to set up, um, raining really hard. We were able to get a fairly decent parking spot close to the back doors and so we didn't have to go too far in the wet to carry our stuff in. Um, but we got all set up. The con technically opened Friday afternoon late in the day, but we decided instead that you know we were just going to go back to my parents' house because it was on the other side of town and the roads were already starting to get kind of washed out in places. And there were a couple of low spots that we went through in the car on the way back to my folks where I was kind of going, technically, I probably shouldn't be driving through here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hope it doesn't kill the engine.
0: Yeah, but we were okay. We got home. I think if we had stayed, it would not have been good for me to drive through those low places. Um, So we got back. There was a VIP dinner and um, at... Someplace, I was like cowboys and coaches was that yeah. the restaurant, something like that.
2: A, a restaurant and uh, club.
0: Yeah. Um, so it was a special dinner. All of the guests were there, and it was paid for gratis by the convention. And people who bought the ultra VIP guest tickets got to come. To the dinner and hang out with the guests and you know all that good sort of thing cool
2: people like us
0: yeah woohoo <laughs> <laughs> you too can have dinner with Mike and Liz no actually it would have been more cool I'm sure people were coming to have dinner with John Schneider um, Bo Duke from Dukes of Hazard. great <laughs> guy, great, you know, great guy was, by the way he, he was awesome he was so nice Um, you know Timothy Zahn was a guest you know there there were some cool people who were guests and they would have been the people you'd have been coming to have dinner with you know not Mike and Liz but the weather was so bad you know the place was only about a mile from where my parents live so we didn't have much of a drive but you know I was like on pins and needles in the car going there because I could barely see the rain was coming down so hard We get there, we're having dinner, the rain is so loud on the roof, you know, it was like someone was banging a huge drum over our heads. And we're kind of half joking to ourselves, you know, we may have to move the con to this restaurant because we may (laughs) not be able to leave it. Um, We were able to get out though. The next day, things cleared up somewhat, but it was still raining. I think, I'm not sure, I think the weather scared off probably a big chunk of people. I mean, it wasn't deserted by any means, and we were also spread out among five fairground buildings, so that may have also had something to do with it not looking as, you know, well attended as it was the year before, but um, we were there, we had our table. Our table was right across from Timothy Zahn's, by the way. we got to see a lot of his Star Trek novel, or Star Wars novels, sorry, eh, <laughs> a lot of his Star Wars novels. We bought one that he co-wrote with um, David Weber in the Honor Harrington universe. Um, had, some, had some good, you know, attendance by our table. Uh, passed out a lot of victorious buttons and business cards and some cool swag that, Zach Glazer from Lesser Known Games donated to us. Um, Thanks, Zach. Thank you, Zach. Yes. Um, Mike ran two games that day. Uh, first, he ran a Holmes Basic D&D game. Since Jim Ward was supposed to be a guest, but because of his, you know, health issues that he had been having, he was unfortunately not able to make Rose City. Although I did hear he made Game Hole, so that was cool. Um, Anyway, so Mike ran the D&D game in place of the game that Jim Ward would have run on Saturday morning, and then a few hours later that afternoon, he ran a victorious game.
2: It was interesting, the two of the people that were playing in the Holmes game was a guy and his girlfriend. Was it girlfriend or wife? Wife. Oh, he and his wife. This was the first time his wife had ever gamed, and apparently he and his gaming group are big Save or Die fans. So nice. he thought that was awesome, and we promised to give him a shout out. Do you have the Phil!
0: list? Phil. Phil. <laughs> Let's see. I've got his. I've got his anyway, full name. I'll
2: wrap here. up while you're looking. Yeah. While you're looking for the list. Uh, Sunday, um, I set up to run the second D and D game for Jim Ward, but nobody showed because you know, Sunday afternoon the con was pretty much dying off. Then, so we loaded up and headed back to Denton, and. Uh, you know, on the whole, like Liz said, there was quite a few people there, but, you know, spread out in five major buildings. It was awkward to get to things because that horrible rain, you're fine in your building, but of course, you know, you need to go to this building for whatever. And in a line of five buildings, we were in building five, and of course, all the games I had to run were in building one. So we just
0: <laughs> started trekking
2: back and, and forth, and forth the back in the th- rain. But anyway, it was fun.
0: It was uh, fun.
2: It certainly you know, it wasn't like nobody showed. Got to see uh, Joe Grant and Tony Emmel, a couple of guys we know back, from back in the day, uh, and Tony's wife, Beth. They dressed up as uh, Joker in, uh, and his uh, female psychiatrist wandering around. He was in an orange ju- uh, prison jumpsuit, but with the Joker makeup on. So that was kind of cool.
1: Nice
0: phil chukinski thanks phil and we're glad to know that we have listeners in tyler texas (laughs) Woohoo!
1: i was gonna say instead of sending us emails you can just go knock on your guys door and say hey good episode
2: and hopefully your wife has forgiven you for throwing that dagger into her into her character's back while you were fighting the goblins
0: it was an accident (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's his story and he's sticking to it <laughs> <laughs> that's been our stuff
1: i forgot a game hold story that i must share is that okay sure because i, I haven't told you guys this um this is the all-time great con story uh, as as you know um I'm a little uh, going through a little bit of being uh, self-employed right now, so I not have a lot of money to spend. So I had decided towards the end of the con around Saturday, Zach and I were walking out for a smoke, and uh, I told Zach, okay, I'm going to allow myself one purchase in the dealer room because my brother's birthday is next week, so I'm going to get him something. And Bill Webb of Frog God Games happened to be walking behind us to also go take a smoke break. And Bill was like, oh, well... When we get done smoking, we'll go back in there and we'll get you something for your brother. You don't have to worry about it. And before I know what's happened, uh, Matt Finch and Bill Webb have autographed and personalized to my brother a stack of swords and wizardry hardbacks about four inches deep. And said, said, here, happy birthday to your brother. And I had to leave the dealer room because I was going to tear up in front of a bunch of men. I couldn't believe they did that.
2: Manly, manly tears. (laughs) And my brother is
1: completely cool. flipped out when
2: he got it. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, uh, barring any announcements, we'll get back into... We'll finally start delving into the Blueholm rules. Um, the only announcement I've got is kind of something that I picked up off the Piazza. And for those who are fans of b 4 apparently the Wizards of the Coast Sword Coast Player's Guide has a reference to the demon Zargon from Before the Lost City, which is kind of a nice Mm -hmm. shout-out. Page 135, it was pointed to to people by Birchbeer on the piazza. And it's pretty cool. It's allowed to use as a kind of patron for evil necromancers and stuff, the Undying One, which is kind of cool. They're not doing, as far as I know, any Mistara or classic campaign worlds in five E, but it was, you know, a nice that they tried to do a retro reference. So I thought that was cool. Anyone else?
0: Uh I got nothing. nothing. (laughs) I got nothing.
2: Jim's still sucking down monster energy drinks. So let's take a break for words from our sort of sponsors and we'll head into blue Home. are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now want to help support the show why not head over to the patreon site patreon.com wgp that's patreon.com wgp and help support the network for as little as a dollar 50 a month that's right a dollar 50 a month goes it. long enough. thank you
0: Zach Glazer, head of Lesser Gnome Games here. In November, we will be running a charity game using our newest box set, Death and Taxes, to support the Extra Life Foundation to benefit Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. <clears throat> um, you can support this effort by going to extralife.org and making a pledge in the name of Robert Glazer or going to lessernome.com slash children. Robert Glazer?
2: No wonders you go by Zach. Listen, let me show you how to do this. I cast charitable contributions. You will now go to extralife.org or lessernome.com and make a generous donation to help children's hospital. You can even write it off both your death and taxes. See what I did but, there? But... Don't interrupt me! And my Saber eye podcast minions will have a nice pledge link right on the webpage of this very episode to make that easy. Ah, that's great. Dopus, thanks. Don't mention it, Robert.
1: Top five. In five, four, three, two.
2: Top five. Blue Home. The rules. The game. And, well, I mean, since Home 77 by Thorkhammer isn't out anymore, and Mazes and Perils really has been tweaked to point people toward AD&D 1E, this is probably the only real Holmes retroclone out there now, isn't it?
0: Well, as far as I know, um, that doesn't mean that there aren't any, but yeah. I can't think of them at the moment.
2: Okay, well, then let's start with number five, and we'll start with you, Liz.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, for my number five, uh, one of the things that I noticed where it's kind of a an interesting variant on the monsters in the monster section you know several of the monsters which are normally designated as giant by Holmes like giant ant giant centipede giant spider you know they're called great in blue Home. and then they're further broken down into three classifications normal large and giant hmm. so you've got Like, say, for the giant centipede, which is always the bane of my existence when I am playing basic D&D, (laughs) because apparently they're attracted to me. But say you have the the great centipede, and, you know, it talks about in regular homes that the poison of the centipede is weak, you get a plus four to your save. Well, you only get a plus four to your save if it's the normal-sized great centipede, if it's a large, it goes down to a plus two. and if it's the giant version, you don't get a plus to your save.
2: So you have even more huge centipede story about now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All the huge centipedes you could you could possibly want right here in Blue home. So, but I thought that was very interesting where you don't just have the giant class it kind of breaks down. So, you could still yeah. have what's essentially a giant centipede, but they're not all the same.
2: And of course, as a D, you know, any DM, you know you have the ability to increase or decrease the power of any given monster. But it's kind of nice, especially in a rules that touts itself as the Prentice Edition, which I assume is a reference to Apprentice, and is just another way of saying basic, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um it's nice to have those, I guess, a guide to show you. See, you can do this. I am so glad
1: you explained that to me because I hit Google like crazy trying to figure out why they were called the Prentice Rules, and it got <laughs> by me.
2: I I am guessing. I haven't found any, you know, verification that that's what was meant, but it just kind of struck me as Prentice. Well, apprentice. I guess that's what it means because there's a later complete rules that are supposed to come out in another year or so. So, I'm just making that up. I don't know. Maybe I'm right, maybe not.
0: Well, I'm sure Michael Thomas will write in and let us know. (laughs) The
2: vile traveler on on OSR Gaming and Dragon's Foot. And so, over to you, Jim. Well,
1: as we all know, I have a yardstick I measure every edition of D&D by, and that's does Magic Missile automatically hit or not. (laughs) (laughs) if you know if i did a t-shirt with marvin the mage if magic magic missile doesn't automatically hit you're playing the wrong edition it's a joke bah (laughs) so in uh prentice homes uh blue homes uh exactly like od and d it does not automatically hit you have to roll your missile attack for your poor magic user wizard and uh, although he kind of tries to make it up to you by it's versus armor class nine at a plus five which i don't know why he didn't just say it's versus armor class four but there it is
2: yeah and uh actually it'd be nine and you get a plus five to your roll right so it's more like it's armor class 14
1: <laughs> oh see i forgot which edition i was in yes the other way okay well same yeah. same same difference <laughs> and, and, and it's not just because i like to play magic users uh i mean being buddies with Tim Cask, I just happen to know this is one of the knockdown dragouts they had at TSR, where Gary wanted it—you had to roll—and Tim's like, "Come on, he, guy's only got one D4 hit points. Give him a break. It should automatically hit."
2: <laughs> and one first-level spell, and so you cast your one magic missile of the day, and you miss. That, yeah, you know, that that does kind of suck.
0: <laughs> then its feats don't fail me now. <laughs>
2: That's right. Get behind the fighters. <laughs> Okay, well, my 5 is a general comment of, and Liz and I talked about this, and it seems like almost nobody, when they do a retro clone, can stop themselves from fiddling with the rules a little bit. Sometimes they do a little, sometimes they do a lot. It's, all I can think of is, you know, maybe they're just importing their own house rules. Um, one thing I found kind of confusing is in basic D&D, clerics turn by using 2d6 to see if you can make the number, and then you roll 2d6 for the number of creatures. However, in Blue it's you roll a d6 plus your level to see how many creatures you turn, which seems to me a bit of a jib because... You know, first to third level, even third level, you're at most going to be able to turn nine creatures, where with the original system, you could turn up to 12.
0: Yeah, but it's hit dice, though, not creatures.
2: Is it hit dice? Yes. Okay, so that's even a bigger So,
0: (laughs) if it's not a skeleton, you might be in trouble as a low-level cleric. Although it does say, no matter what, you will always turn one if you make the the initial roll.
2: And yet... If you look at the second combat example where the party is fighting the skeletons,
0: mm-hmm. when
2: the cleric, doc, uh, not doctor, just strange love <laughs> uses her... Um,
0: she has an honorary to doctor. Turn,
2: <laughs> ...to turn, the skeletons, she rolls 2d6. So, it like, well, that must be a typo that slipped through or something. So, I'm not really sure which one is really meant here. But being an old schooler, I'll just go 2d6. So, there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it does say at the beginning that there are no rules. Very true. It's like if there's something that you think it should be, you know, and you're the people at your table agree, then do it.
2: <laughs> okay. Over to you, Liz. Number four.
0: Number four. Okay. All righty. Um, it's about <laughs>
1: time for you to steal one of mine. Usually on four.
0: <laughs> I, I may be stealing one of yours because this is a magic user centric one, so I don't know if I'm going to be stealing this from you or not. Um, In the original Holmes rules, if the player has the ability to try for specific spells he wants when he is learning spells initially, um, you know, there's the percentage chance to learn a spell, but you can pick as the player, I want my magic user to try to know sleep, and you get to roll, and if you don't make it, then, well, you don't get it. And, but you're making the choice. In Blue Holm, all of the spells are randomly determined by the referee. Um, the referee still rolls the percentage to see if the player's character gets to know the spell. But the referee's making the choice. The player is not getting to make the choice as to what spells he or she initially has in their spell book. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, when you're adventuring, you don't have any control over what spells you find, but if you're just starting out and it's assumed that you had been studying somewhere, you know, I would... My assumption always was learning magic in a school from, you know, a wizard who is teaching you you get the opportunity to try to learn things that you have a specific interest in as a student. Um, yeah, so- I don't want
1: I don't want to go all, all Mikey Mason on the rules, but I mean, <laughs> a first level magic user with one d4 hit points who goes out into the wilderness with anything but a sleep spell is doomed.
0: Yeah, and you know, even then, you know, sometimes sleep spells don't work if it's undead. Mm-hmm. I would say if you don't have sleep. You should you know, at least at try least for Magic, magic missile. missile, you know, because, you know, something that's offensive, you know. Sleep,
2: Magic Missile, Shield. It should be the first three.
0: <laughs> that you try for. Yeah. Trying to learn something. May not,
2: maybe not in that exact order, depending on your, how you like to play your magic user, but those three are the ones.
0: <laughs> Or like that joke always goes, you know, you're a first level magic user and you think it's, you're supposed to have a really high intelligence, but you thought it was a good idea to go out adventuring with nothing but a push spell. And
2: friends.
0: <laughs> and a rusty dagger. <laughs> it's like,
2: okay, it's your turn, mage. What do you got? I uh, read magic. I read magic at them. Yeah. So
0: that that was an interesting twist on how, um, uh, initial magic user would learn their spells, and I'm not sure I agree with it, but I think in the end, it's just basically, what's your, what's your flavor preference? Mm-hmm. I don't think it breaks the game one way or the other, but I'm just used to doing it the other way and letting the player have some input as to what they might have starting off. Okay.
1: Jim. Well, uh, no, that wasn't one of mine, lists, So good job. I guess I'll okay. be forced to steal one of yours now. Um, ha ha! My number four is that the uh, Blue Homes is illustrated entirely with public domain art, which is, you know, not atypical of uh, indie productions like this that are done on a shoestring, where there's not the art budget to go out and get pen and ink illustrations. But uh, I think Blue Homes is way outstanding from the rest of the crowd for how well chosen the public domain art was and uh, i think that's probably why just the choice of public domain art was given a credit in the credits apparently uh john calvin smith did this for uh michael thomas but i mean to, to you know whoever did the art didn't just do what most of us do it didn't just hop on google and grab the first thing they see it, i mean you know what i mean
0: yeah Liz, oh yeah i need something with a dragon okay here you know
2: <laughs> it's a chinese dragon
1: so if you gotta go with public domain art this was like well chosen
2: cool all right well my number four has to be subdual damage now both holmes and blue Home have subdual damage but in the original holmes rules they just gave how to subdue a dragon and you kind of were su- expected to interpolate from that how to do sub- Ooh, <laughs> I, I just made that up <laughs> How to do subdual damage on other creatures. Um, Whereas Blue Holm takes the system and is basically faithful, if not exactly a mechanic, certainly to the intent, and expands it to all sorts of creatures that you can subdue for whatever reasons. I think that's cool. So, Liz? Three. We're moving along here.
0: My number three magic items. The potential magic items that you can find, given in the back, um, for the most part, pretty faithful to what can be found in the lists in the Holmes Basic. Um, you've got a, you've got a few differences here and there. Um, I don't <laughs> think the, I don't think the potions list is exactly the same, but I can't recall precisely where the changes in that. Um, the rings are all the same, um, but. Ring of Protection. Holy crap, I want one of those. Um, Holmes Basic. It was just your standard Ring of Protection plus one. So it gives you, instead of an AC9, you have an AC8 with it. Ring of Protection in blue, Holmes, gives you a magical protection equivalent to armor class two. And a plus one bonus on all your saving throws. It's like I want that. Yeah, that <laughs> wow. It's like I want that. That
2: doesn't suck. And that if you give them not. and if you end up giving them the staff of clouting we, <laughs> the wizard can do two D six damage with a hit. Whoa! Spider's <laughs> out of the way. We're putting the wizard up front.
1: Well, see, that's a trade. You can send me out in the wilderness with only a read magic spell if I get that crap.
0: I know. Yeah. Um I do think that could potentially have the you could potentially break a campaign with that. I you, you'd have to be real careful. You with, say that like it's a bad thing. Well, if you're the DM <laughs> it is a bad thing. If you're a player it's fantastic and I'm not joking when I say I want one of those rings, but <laughs> I think you'd have to be very careful as a DM with with those. Do not let your wizard have both the staff of of clouding and the ring of protection because they will womp all over everybody and
2: won't <laughs> end well. <laughs> Skeletons <laughs> again. Is 4, wow.
0: now in charge. <laughs> <laughs> all
2: right, Jim. Number 3. My number 3 is that
1: uh, Blue Homes almost precisely mirrors uh, Homes Basic in uh races class including the slight ambiguity of it as it's written. When we were all kids, like I got Homes Basic for my little brother uh, in Christmas 1979, and he started his D&D campaign with it before he went to AD&D. And we were never exactly sure how the racist class in Homes Basic was intended to run, because it's a little, it, 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 it it's a cleaned up version of OD&D, but it's still a little iffy. And... Uh, that would have seemed to me like a good opportunity for, like you you were talking, Mike, a little rules tweak just to make it clearer. Because, uh, for mm-hmm. example, in um, Dungeon Crawl Classics, it's very clear. You're a dwarf, and this is what dwarfs can do. You're a halfling, and this is what halflings can do. Um, so I just thought that was that was odd. I mean, he did tweak it just to the extent, let's see, if you want to get really parsey with it. Uh, in Holmes Basic, dwarves can be fighters or thieves and in blue homes it says dwarves most dwarves are fighters and makes it even a little more ambiguous.
2: Mm. Yeah, and the something i caught on there was unlike the original races class say for the elven fighter magic user right they they take the armor of the worst of the two rather than the best. So an elven fighter magic user has, it gets to run around with a 9 AC. And that seems really harsh. Maybe that was why he created the Ring of Protection, Liz. Well,
0: I suppose. For, the, for
2: those elves who don't get to wear armor when they're a Fighter Magic user.
1: But if you like your home's basic, the way it's set up, then this is just the same thing and, and you're good to go. I mm-hmm. I thought maybe it was a missed opportunity to to actually do some better tweaking.
0: Well, yeah. if I remember correctly, there is a section where... You know, the DM has the option to allow um, multi-classing, which was was not something that was offered in the original home set.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, my third is going to play off kind of on what Jim was talking about in some tweaks that were done that I don't agree with. Um, However, I will admit that it is the quote-unquote tradition for any type of D&D playing now. In Blue Home, thieves have a find and remove trap skills. In Original Holmes, it was just remove trap. Oh, and the reason was anybody could look for traps, including dwarves with their stonework and sloping sloping passages. That made dwarves more useful because they were better able to find those traps.
1: You've talked about this before. This is like my magic missile automatically hitting thing for you.
2: Mm-hmm. and and he, you know, like I said, Blue home went the standard the way every D d went from that point onward, find and remove traps. So I if he did it because he was basically trying to appeal to the 90% of D&D players who want a find and remove traps role, I can't argue him that much. But ah. personally, I, know.
0: It's two separate roles, though. Very true. So there is at least that, you know.
2: That, yeah, it's not the standard fart role.
0: You know, and I'm looking at the...
2: Yes, find and, and remove traps, we call it the fart role,
0: so. <laughs> I'm I'm looking at the table now. You know, say if you're a first level thief, you have a 20% chance to find the trap. You only have a 10% chance to remove it. So it's two different sets of numbers. You know, Anybody
2: where, can remove a trap. It's just whether or not there's <laughs> damage involved. Oh, but, fart! I get it. <laughs> find and remove trap.
0: Yeah. F A R T. But yeah, I mean in AD and D, you know, it's basically the same number. You know, yeah. it's X Find percent, and remove trap. Yeah. But these are two different numbers, and it's a lot. E- it's a lot harder to safely remove a trap than it is to find it.
2: <laughs> Although, again. There's 20% versus 10% on percentile dice, but arguing the thief skill levels is a whole other topic, so we'll just (laughs) skip that. (laughs) All right, Liz, number two.
0: Okay, da, da, da. Well, I would just like to say, I'm going to just sort of cram two different things into my number two, that five-point alignment... Yes. (laughs) And ability scores in the correct order. Strength, intelligence, wisdom, constitution, dexterity, charisma.
1: (sighs) Three D six, the way Gary Gygax and Crom intended.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that is awesome.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Jim. You're two
1: um I mean you know the old Grognard and me just loves that uh the Blue Homes inherits both the OD&D and uh Homes basics all weapons do 1d6 we're still we're not although you know the option is presented just as it is in Homes basic that mm-hmm. you can make variable weapon damage in uh Blue Home complete which is not out yet but I just like I mean the simplicity of that 1d6 I like it that it's in the rules, even though no one is going to play it that way, including <laughs> me. I mean, Tim Cass doesn't run his OD&D game that way. But just, yeah. you know, for the warm, fuzzy, oh yeah, <laughs> that, that's how we played 1979 when my brother was running. And we just didn't know any different.
2: Right. And, of course, new people, which I always eternally hope are coming up and playing OSR games, you know, that's like, well, they'll know what's you know, they'll determine what works better for their group, but it's nice to have it there as the history of the game.
1: Don't you kind of just like imagining the arguments they had before any of us started playing, like mid-70s, when they first did variable weapon damage, and everybody's sitting around arguing about, oh, that's power gaming.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's power creep. But then, of course, this is the same game that had Meteor Swarm, Jim, as Fireballs, gem. Jim. <laughs> So if it, that even worked it, you know the arguments around the table that weren't printed must have been really really amusing. Yeah, oh, yeah. I am you totally to... on
0: Jim Ward's side with that whole Meteor Swarm thing.
2: Yeah, me too. And that's not just because Jim Ward's a cool guy. <laughs> it's, it's not called Fireball Swarm. It's called Meteor Swarm. So.
0: But anyway.
1: <laughs> I'm glad we cleared that up and added Ward to the, all your gems so nobody <laughs> thought it was me.
2: Because
1: as long as it catches stuff on fire, I'm cool either way. <laughs>
2: Okay. Well, my number two is again it's I I thought it was going to be a real dislike because he talks about fireballs earlier when talking about underground distance versus wilderness distance. You know, the whole feet yards conversion thing. Um, But he does clarify that spell effects and range still work at feet even though it's know out in the wilderness as opposed to in a dungeon but he does the d20 fireballs only do a 20-foot radius crap and not filling the available space
0: the fiend
2: well (laughs) well, remember what in that short story for Harry Dresden when he's yeah (laughs) around the table and everybody's going yeah Harry we know you're the real magician but this is how the game works we can't figure all that. It's just mathematics. Just fill out the so.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm on Mike's side on this one, Liz, because if I had to go to all the trouble to programming my brain to think and calculate those volumes, you know, 30 years ago, then damn it, the rules need to say that
2: today. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but math has never been my friend, and <laughs> I, well, I, I I don't I don't get all that. Hey,
2: Indeed, <laughs> didn't make me learn negative armor classes. I would have been in much worse trouble in algebra. <laughs> but but then I thought well we'll see how he writes up the fireball spell since he mentions it here there's got to be a fireball spell right no there is no fireball spell
0: no fireball for you when yeah
2: yet you go to the magic items and there's a wand of fireballs
0: oh yeah and it says works exactly the same My way as the fireball spell, <laughs> spell. <I> mean, <laughs> it, and it, it gives <laughs> 66
2: damage but it doesn't say anything about the Distance, range, ex- unless you go back into the... So, part of me is like, you know, that that's really confusing and inconsistent. Now, there's another part of me going, maybe he's just trying to do an homage to the original Holmes.
0: Which was even more confusing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, so it's like, you know, you got to use your brain for this to work. So, this Dude. may all be intentional.
0: I mean, I love original Holmes D&D, but... You've got to flip back and forth all over the place in that book to find stuff. You know, it is not laid out intuitively in the slightest.
2: More than in the Brown books.
0: Yeah, well, that is true. That is true. But still, you know, (laughs) so.
2: Can I tell
1: an industry insider secret about the Goodman Games writers? Sure. That you're going to love.
2: In your execution by Goodman Games. I don't think so,
1: but because uh, okay. I, uh, I won't name names. I won't say who amongst us does this, but there is a uh, little clique of us that like to turn in our manuscripts with something purposely missing, like a table, a D8 table that only has seven results because the sixth result is missing, intentionally, as an homage <laughs> to the way they wrote and published <laughs> rules 30 years ago. Well, and, every, yes. and every once in a while we get away with it.
2: Cool. Well, it's like when I was looking through the Tegel Manor um Reprint by Goodman Games, and Michael Curtis did that adventure in the back. And I was reading it, and it's like he put in some errors and stuff, just like the old Judges Guild. It's like, wow, that's cool.
1: But I didn't mention any names, Joe Bittman.
0: (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) We have no idea who you're referring to.
2: No idea. All right, number one. (laughs) Liz?
0: Last chance
2: to steal one of Jim's
0: uh I, I i don't think i I don't think I'm going to, but i'm now that I've said that uh it'll turn out that I did um, treasure tables nope you're good awesome I really like how he redid the treasure tables for blue home
2: yeah uh, mm-hmm.
0: it's so much more intuitive in the original. Homes, you've got this one big long table, and it's a mishmash of what you would find in a horde and what you would find on individual people, just all crammed together into one table with no real rhyme or reason as to what is what. You know, you've got treasure type G, you know that's you know for a person, and then right above it is you know treasure type F, and that's for a dragon horde, but you've got it. You've got it split up in Blue Home. There's one separate table for, you know, getting treasure from individuals, rolling it up, and then you've got another table for large treasure hoards and rolling those up, and I think that is just awesome when you're trying to figure out what you're going to populate your adventure with.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I don't know if it was Swords and Wizardry that did it first, but it seems like the idea of a horde table has really taken off among all the, or most of the retro clones.
0: Yeah, but I mean And it's a good idea. Yeah, it was there in the original big table, but you just had to know that treasure types B or X or whatever was what you were going to more likely find, say, with a dragon as opposed to treasure type J which might be a small band of orcs. And
1: I so used to have the, all that memorized, and it's gone now.
0: So I, I like that it's split up, and yeah. you know the the quantities go down too. I, if I recall correctly, in Holmes, it's you know in in groups of thousands, and here in Blueholm, it's in lots of 500. So I think that's a little more, you know, workable, especially for a set of rules, which is for first through third characters mm-hmm. and, and maybe i'm just mean but it's like i don't <laughs> think a first a group of first level characters needs to find a treasure hoard that has just the thousands upon thousands of gold pieces in it unless you're going to be super duper mean and not give them any way to take it all back with them and then they just cry all the way home you know
2: <laughs> yeah you know those dms
0: yes <laughs> We're going to give you this incredible amount of money for doing this for us. Oh, yeah. We're a copper mining (laughs) (laughs)
2: company. 10,000 gold pieces.
0: In in copper. copper. I hate you, Kevin.
1: (laughs) (laughs) As a by coincidence, we have this wagon
2: for sale that cost almost that much.
0: That's right.
2: <laughs> what selling mule No, we don't sell our mules or horses. We're a mining co- We need those. We need those. But you <laughs> can drag the wagon yourselves. Lord. Uh, all right. Over to you, Jim.
1: So, my number one is my last chance to steal one of yours, Mike. So, about the skill proficiencies. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> ah!
1: <laughs> Just kidding. There are, there are
2: none. Um uh, I was about to say, my brain must have shut that out because I don't recall it. <laughs> um, you know, as
1: as I'm listening to us, you know, we're getting pretty picky about this and I don't want it to, to come away, at least from my point of view, that I didn't think this was just dynamite stuff. So my number one is that not only is blue homes awesome it, it's it's as though Michael Thomas did for John Eric Holmes what John Eric Holmes did for gygax and Arneson I mean it's a it's a rules cleanup and editing and representation of homes basic that where everything's in the order you would expect it to be in now I mean it's basically the fidelity the rules fidelity is tight but it's it, it's it's cleaned up and edited so it's like a 2013 version of what John Eric Holmes did to the OD&D rules back in
2: 1977. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, and I'll basically say that my number one is I liked the description of the combat rounds. He kept the Holmes combat round you know, consistent, but explained it a lot better, and it really. And he got very descriptive. Um,
0: Yes, he did.
2: (laughs) I I did like how Thorc Hammer was the combat example dwarf in the first um, combat example.
0: Yeah, that was awesome. Um,
2: Nice shout out. But uh, then you killed the goblin and then describes the goblin loosening its bowels in death. (laughs) (laughs) So that the dwarf then goes, I'm not checking his pocket. (laughs)
0: Message for you, sir. So, like,
2: wow, that's a rough way of trying to keep PCs from going through pockets.
1: <laughs> like, like that would stop them. <laughs> true,
2: true. Yeah, most, most, players. most
0: players would go, the DN is deliberately trying to make this as nasty as possible. He must have something awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
2: like a ring of protection or something. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, it was, for, for what was made for a first to third introduction, like Holmes was for OD&D, I think it really does its job. There are a few changes to the rules that I might quibble about, but as Liz notes in the very front, there are no rules.
1: <laughs> this so is historic. A- I don't think we've ever gotten to a top five without somebody tramping on somebody else's picks.
2: Yeah, that's incredible. Woohoo! Good job. Yeah. We gotta go back and do it all over. <laughs> no! <laughs> and on to Random Encounters. How many people want to kick some ass? There are, there are seven ogres surrounding you. How could they surround us? I had Morton Titan's Magical Watchdog Cam. No, you didn't. A satanic fungus rises from the be, forest uh, floor uh, and says, You're and playing us.
0: D&D. You're playing D&D. This whole apartment! Just playing D&D. Random encounters.
2: Random encounters. We have chosen a monster and compare it to its Holmes edition version to see if there's any changes. And of course, Liz chose a kobold. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew I, enough, I, I knew to stay away from that one.
0: I I probably should choose a kobold because i didn't pay attention to the directions and i chose a monster that did not have a counterpart in holmes
2: well, <laughs> yeah he he does introduce some new monsters yeah, but it um, makes
1: you feel any better liz uh, the show notes said choose three monsters and instead of reasoning that that meant one a piece i chose three so i didn't follow the
2: directions
0: oh, either okay <laughs> awesome <laughs> i don't feel so bad now
2: Maybe my students have something when I they <laughs> say my, my instructions aren't as detailed as they should be. <sighs> oh well Well since Jim's got three, you go first. <laughs> Just choose the best one.
1: Oh me. I'm first. Jim? Oh, yeah, because mine will be quick because <laughs> it's very gem. boring. I, d- I just uh, picked uh, three classic monsters and compared them, So and I went almost in alphabetical order, too, where it was Skeleton, Sturges, and Rust Monster, three classic monsters you'd expect to run into in the first three levels. And what I discovered when I picked them by that criterion, was the the stats are all identical in both. So there were, I mean, virtually identical. There might have been one little number off. Uh, You were talking about uh, Mead getting hit by the Sturge. They do exactly in Blue Homes what they do in Homes Basic. They're going to hit you for a hit of 1d3, and if they stay attached and suck you, it's another 1d4 of Blood Drain. So it was kind of boring. It was like three monsters I picked are identical.
2: So nothing to nothing to critique there, because it's as is. Okay, Liz?
0: Well, my monster, which has no Holmes counterpart, (laughs) because I don't know how to follow directions, apparently, (laughs) I chose the Green Grabber, because I thought that was pretty cool, you know, and I liked the fact that there are some different monsters that are not in your original Holmes basic book, so if you want to you know, change some stuff up in your home's game, you know, you've got some ideas here in Blue Blueholm that you can use. And, but anyway, the green grabber, it's like, it's a mobile, ambulato- it's an ambulatory carnivorous plant. And they've got these shoots that are 30 feet long and it can just like snap out and grab you and pull you in and the thing just starts chewing on you literally eating you um and it does two you you get 2d6 damage per round that you're being chewed on so as a as a first level character you know even if you're a fighter you could conceivably possibly be killed within one round if this thing manages to get a hold of you um they're they're pretty vicious um I will say I was kind of unclear. You know, it says your H your the hit dice three D eight, so three D eight worth of hit points for the creature. But then it says that each of the three shoots has six hit points. Now is that in addition to the three D eight or is that part of it? I kind of think it would be in addition, but well, that's really conversely
2: I would have said it's probably part of the total, like some other monsters. But then, if you do that, you're going to have more than 3d8 hit points.
0: Right. So, so I don't know. Yeah. It could be super duper dangerous if it's got six hit points for each shoot, in addition to the 3d8 hit dice that's listed in the thing. You know, you do not want to run into this. That sounds like
1: a first level TPK
0: to me. <laughs> I know. He's like. It-
2: from the description, it kind of reminds me of that monster from *Expedition to the Barrier Peaks*. Wolf in the, a wolf in sheep's clothing.
0: Oh yeah, where it looks like you got like a little bunny stomp. rabbit or oh, yeah,
2: it's <laughs> with a little bunny rabbit on top. <laughs> oh, look
0: at yeah. the bones. Now, but um, yeah. Anyway, as if that wasn't bad enough, then they enter this phase called sleep flower, where the plant sprouts this big yellow flower that attracts sturges. <laughs>
1: Oh, if you Lord. get
0: if you get near it, the flower opens up and sends out a puff of pollen in a five foot radius up to three times a day. And if you breathe it in, you have to save versus poison or you fall asleep. And since the,
2: the, the sturges,
0: yeah, the plant will eat you. And if the plant doesn't eat you, the sturges that it's attracting will come and eat you. And it's you like
2: get the feeling Mr. Thomas was having a really bad. Day. <laughs> I <laughs> think this really awful group of players and decided, fine, I've
0: had it.
1: This almost is starting to sound familiar. Is this monster from one of the early basic D&D modules, maybe?
0: Maybe. 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 I mean, I, uh, know, I remember when we were playing in Jim Ward's game. Oh, what was the one that he did for Castles and Crusades? The kind of horror box set? Yes, Tainted Lands. Um, We were going through an adventure that he was running, and there was this field of yellow flowers that from a distance looked like daffodils or something. But then you get to them, and every single flower has like this little carnivorous maw, and this whole field just wants to eat you.
1: (laughs) See, that's Jim Ward, though, man. On the Starship Warden, you don't even want to step on the grass because it's attacking you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well. Okay. Yeah, this is this is a monster for if you really really hate your players <laughs> and you just want to get rid of them all. We'll <laughs>
1: do it. Well, so Mike, presumably you followed your own directions correctly.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: and I chose a monster named after a little-known Prince gaming m- album, <laughs> yeah. Purple Worm. Purple Worm. <laughs> oh, that's Purple terrible.
1: Purple Worm.
2: Anyway, <laughs> not a lot of people know that. You won't find it in any book. Thank you for giving us our outro music. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's different. Because conversely, the purple worm in Blue Holm is not as powerful as the one in Holmes. It's got the same armor class, the same hit die, but it's only half as fast, 30 feet as opposed to 60, and the damage it does per bite is either 1d6 or 2d6 with the poison stinger, plus poison. Whereas in Holmes, it was, every attack was, both attacks were 2d6. Um, Other than that, the chance, it's not quite as wide, but it does still have the possibility of swallowing a person for the same 5 or 6 and 12 rounds respectively, die in 6, dissolve in 12. So... Yeah, it's it's a lighter. It's purple light. <laughs> so, but you know, it's not so nerfed that I would say, you know, uh, you do know, better throw two of them at the party now then. Because again, we're talking about first to third level characters and this purple worm light could still cause the party a real bad time. So, it sounds like for the most part, monsters tend to be pretty close. And so, let's talk dragons. In new Dungeons & Dragons, power is
1: won by finding new ways to battle.
2: I can feel the darkness inside me!
1: And being completely dragon-flapping awesome! Set comes with spellbook, ritual rites, playboard, sacrificial dagger, and dice, dice, dice!
2: DSR hobby,
0: Dungeons
2: and Dragons games. Products of your imagination. All right. Poyi, here we go. Let's talk format, layout. You've kind of already hit on that, Jim, with the art. Anyway, at least the public domain art. Yes. So, Liz, what do you think of format and layout?
0: Well, as an older individual... I very much appreciate the fact that there's a larger typeface <laughs> than in the original Holmes. Um, to be fair, the typeface for Holmes, very easy to read, even at a at a small, you know, small pica. But, um, yeah, it's very easy to read. You've got, you know, some good white space around all the pages, nice art, The tables are very well done. About the only thing that I could possibly say that is a personal gripe of mine is there are the occasional paragraphs with the full justification where you've just got huge amounts of space between the words. And that bugs me, but it's probably not going to bug your average individual. Um,
2: <laughs> and as reference to our readers, both Jim and Liz are looking at hard copies of the Blue Home Prentice Rules, because Mr. Thomas was nice enough to send them to us.
1: Oh, yeah. My, my hard copy says, "is autographed, to DM Jim, sod podcaster extraordinaire. Michael. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> mine. Our, it's all mine. <laughs> uh, ours says, to DMs Liz and Mike. Saving or dying with Holmes since... <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: well put.
1: So, <laughs> personalized autograph, that's worth a whole dragon right there.
2: Yeah. Okay, well, any final comments? I mean, it is available as a free PDF, but I couldn't find online where I where you can get it as a free PDF. I've got all, so I just, I've got all I just, that information. Cool, awesome. good, because I just scanned that book finally because I couldn't find it.
1: Blue Homes can be found as a PDF on both drive DriveThruRPG.com and RPGNow.com for uh, pay what you want, which is Homer Simpson free. You're right. Mm. And as a paperback, you can get it at Lulu, um, either Perfect Bound or Saddle Stitch at Lulu.com, which is $4.99 or $5.99, respectively. And you can't beat that price.
2: Chit's not included. <laughs> okay, well, then... Give us some dragons, Jim. um I'm gonna go with four point five
1: and the only reason I don't go all the way up to five is just because of the uh, because of the um public domain art, however extremely well chosen it was i, I, would, I, I if if it had, had you know the budget to actually do real art and hired Lloyd Metcalf and some guys you know we all know to do it, then I would give it five out of five dragons, which means I couldn't do better myself
2: okay. Liz?
0: Um, well, the cover art does seem to be um, actual, you know, original art. But yeah, all the interior art is public domain. Um, I think it says Jean Francois Belew uh, did the cover art, which is right. a nice little homage to the original Blue Home art. You've got the dragon, you know, <laughs> which looks almost exactly like the dragon. <laughs>
2: Like Sutherland's dragon?
0: Yes, that's awesome.
2: <laughs> Except but with it, a,
1: a gender diverse party, since it's yes. twenty thirteen.
0: Is the wizard
2: wrong. wearing a pointy hat?
0: Yes. Oh yes. Oh okay. a wizard.
2: All right, there's a half a dragon right there.
0: So, <laughs> I'm 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 going to I'm going to. A all... one. No, I'm not going to. Because <laughs> it's
2: terrible.
1: You can only play it up to third level, and all the classes <laughs> suck till fifth. <laughs>
2: Okay, you stole that from me. I was (laughs) got it to mine. I was gonna do the Mikey Mason. (laughs) Sorry. No, you finally got to steal. We got somebody to steal something. So yay! It's an actual save or die episode.
0: (laughs) Great, great
1: DMs. Think alike.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. Blue home gets four dragons for me. Oh thank God! It is. It is pretty darn awesome. Um, Right. And it's, it's the most out of, out of all of the versions of the Holmes Retro Clones that I have seen. Um, and it's been a long time since I've looked at Thorky's Holmes 77 rules. But I think for the most part, Blue Holm is the most faithful overall to the original Holmes Blue Book. So. I'm, I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> okay.
2: Well, I'm going to give it, I had originally planned to give it a 3.5 because I wanted to retain my crown as the, as the low, low voter. But since Holmes 77 isn't out anymore, this is really it if you want to play Holmes basic. And I think for, for that, it does its job. I mean, yes, you can nitpick a little rule here and a little rule there, and of course I did because I'm Mike and <laughs> <laughs> I do, but on the whole, this will give you the Holmes basic game feel. So I'm going to kick that up to, and it's got an homage cover, so I'm going to kick it up to a four. Woo! Four dragons. I could do 3.85, but talk about messing up the, uh, the, the math. Well,
0: hey, you're the one that has to do the averaging, so,
2: 0.5, so whatever a- you want. 4.166. So,
1: 666? I did that with an app, because I can't do that math in my head.
2: Cool. Okay, well, I hope this has uh, been useful to the listeners but it's time once again to head down that lonely dirt road, thumbing our way to the to the gaming distances of the future. And how are we heading down the road, Liz?
0: Um, I was heading down the road, but I got caught in the spray of a weird yellow flower and. Now I've decided that, you know, maybe this dirt road is an awfully nice place to take a nap.
2: <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? I know. Yeah.
0: It's literally a dirt nap.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Jim? Uh, I'm going
1: down the road with no spells memorized, because, so I don't care if Magic Missile doesn't automatically hit, because I've got that uh, ring of protection in the staff of clouding, and I'm just smacking the crap out of every kobold I meet.
2: <laughs> Who's your wizard daddy? <laughs> Well, I am not walking or running down the road. I am riding on the back of a purple worm with little sweetness. (laughs) Singing
0: purple worm, purple Purple worm. worm.
2: As we head out to episode 118.
0: That's right. And if you want to make sure that neither DM Mike nor I ever sing again on a show, you can send your checks to... Well, we Central
2: not only did com.
1: We not only didn't steal any of each other's top 5s. We got through a whole episode without a Doctor Who reference.
2: Oh, oh. damn it. Damn it. Crap. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Almost.
0: <laughs> so close.
2: See everybody next episode.
0: Bye. See ya. Free arc.
2: And we're out.
1: Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Savorite ID music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at MississippiBones.bandcamp.com. Melee weapons for tonight's episode were provided by the D6 Dollar Store, where everything does just one D6. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die.
2: We skip emails and just do the show, and if at the end the show didn't go as long as we thought, we do a quick read of email and Jim can cut it and just stick it up front.
1: Oh, see, I like that. That's Vegas odds. Oh,
0: that's cool.
2: Okay. The house yeah, always wins.
1: We always run long.
0: Yeah, yeah, I
2: was about to say, yeah, if we end early, ha ha, like that's ever happened.
0: I have nothing to say about a Holmes retro club. <laughs>